Uh, hey, we're in this series called Extravagant. We're going to jump in into Matthew 6. So if you want to grab a Bible, grab that paperback one and go with Matthew 6. Uh, it's in the New Testament. And uh, we'll unpack that. But first, let's pray. I know we've prayed already a couple times tonight, but let's, let's pray more. Father, the early church believed that where your nature is spoken of, there you are present. Where your nature is spoken of, there you are present. God, you're present here. And as we sang a minute ago, you're good. You're good. And we want to see that more abundantly and more clearly tonight through this text. So help us. Help us to see you more clearly. Uh, help us to hear your voice and do what you say. Help us to trust your provision and your goodness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, when I was little, uh, I played a, we played this game at recess, which probably nobody plays anymore because there's not an app for it. Um, and the game is called Simon Says. Do you know what game I'm talking about? So Simon Says, pat your head and you pat your head. Thank you. Simon Says, rub your belly and you rub the belly. Uh, Simon Says, turn around and you turn around. Can't do that in your chairs. Good job, Joey. See, people say church isn't fun, right? Look at that. Um, Simon Says is this game where Simon says it and you do it, right? The challenge is, uh, let me show you the Simon Says image lest I forget. Simon Says what to do and you do it. Now you lose the game if you know, you do something and it's not what Simon said. Now the funny thing about Simon Says is that when it comes to the words of Jesus, when it comes to the words of Jesus, we're much better at Simon Says because when Jesus says something, we don't do it, we memorize it. When, when Jesus says something, we don't do it, we like parse it. When Jesus says do it, we go and think about it and pray about it for a while. Uh, when Jesus says something, we write a song about it. And so when Jesus says, give to everyone who begs of you, give to everyone who begs of you, we just memorize it. And when Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, we hear that and we write a journal entry about how true that is. And when Jesus says, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. When Jesus says, you cannot become my disciple unless you give up all your possessions, we parse the Greek to make sure that when Jesus said all, Oh, dear God, please make sure he didn't mean all. As we move from the Old Testament, where we were the last two weeks, and if you've not been listening, you can catch up online. Uh, we move from the Old Testament to the New, 430 years elapses. Uh, Roman, the Roman government has captured, uh, the Roman Empire has captured all of the Mediterranean basin, and uh, Jesus has been born and has grown up into a man. And we encounter this Jesus in the beginning parts of the New Testament, and it's a Jesus that we are deeply and tremendously uncomfortable with. We've said this here before, but in our, when we were growing up, our parents taught us not to talk about politics, money, or religion, and yet Jesus only ever talks about politics, money, and religion. In fact, 25% of Jesus's public teaching ministry that we have recorded, 25% of it is about our wealth and our possessions. That's just something we cannot ignore. We cannot ignore that Jesus had a vested interest in talking about our, our wealth and our money, and this is something we cannot, we must not try to turn into an allegory or turn into like a little hobby lobby plaque or, or knit onto a throat pillow. It's gotta be something either Jesus said 
and meant or Jesus didn't mean. And so in this series called Extravagant, this core conviction that what Jesus, but that when God talks about money, he, he wants to talk about what he wants for you rather than he wants from you. He wants for you rather than he wants from you rings true in the words of Jesus. Because when Jesus talks about our wealth and our possessions in the New Testament, it is never so that his pocketbook grows bigger. It is never so that he makes money. It is never said, excuse me, I just healed you. Can I have $5, please? It is never, uh, I fed the 5,000, a dollar each would be nice. In fact, when Jesus talks about our money, it's about how it can benefit, usually speaking, poor people. When Jesus talks about money, it's almost always a matter of how it should be given away to those who need it. And so when Jesus talks about our money, it's not like he's lining his pockets. It's not what he wants from us for his own personal gain. It's what he wants for us. And in fact, what he wants for other people who are experiencing poverty at the core of this series are just layer after layer of why we give. Uh, because you have been around church long enough to feel guilty about not giving. There's really only one what in this entire series, and it's this idea of this giving ladder. My challenge to you uh, in this series is to take a one, maybe two steps up the giving ladder, that if you've never given to Regen, you'd start. That if you only occasionally give, you would give uh, a percentage regularly every week. If you're already giving a percentage, that you would up that percentage to a flat 10% tithe off the top of your income. If you're already giving 10%, that you would extravagantly give more. Hear me on this, and I'm serious. If you start doing that now, and at the end of the year, do not feel like that was a worthwhile investment in your soul, a worthwhile investment in your discipleship, and a worthwhile investment in the life of Regen, I will pay you back might be in some form of like an annuity over 30 years. Uh, but uh, especially if you're up in that top of the ladder. But I, I'm serious. I, my encouragement to you out of this series, my what for you is that if this is a place that you have come to grow and love and you call your kind of spiritual home and this is your family, that you would take a step up the giving ladder. Or as we talked about last week, it's really a step down. It's a step down the giving ladder closer to the heart of God. Because at his very core, God is generous and extravagant. And that's what we're looking at. And so I want to encourage you, that's the what of this series. But as soon as I say that, as soon as I say, start giving, where does your mind go? Your mind goes, Kyle, that's a really cute idea. And I love regen, but listen. I've got bills to pay and I'm on a fixed income. I've got, you know, I'm paying for this college debt. I, I, I want to buy this new thing. I, I, I started my own business. I, we're, we're, we're not making as much as we thought. I'm still trying to pay this fine or that thing. The longer you think about that too, what happens, you get anxious. You just start to get a little nervous. I mean, not crazy nervous, just enough nervous because you're like, oh, what's going on? And that feeling of anxiety is the very thing that Jesus wants to set us free from in Matthew chapter six. That feeling of anxiety and worry is exactly what Jesus wants to set us free from in Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Look at this, look at this text with me together. It's a little long, but I wanna read all of it because I think it's really profound. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. 
He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your lamp is la- it, your eye, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your whole body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. That's one of the most cryptic of Jesus' parables. We'll get into that. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Ooh, sassy Jesus, you know what I mean? Verse 25, that's why I tell you, look at that. All of those three things. Here's something about your heart. Here's something about your eyes. Here's something about your master. And he says, by the way, all those things, that's why I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. He says, isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Quick fact check. Yes, you are more valuable to the father than a bird. Can't all your worries add a, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They, they don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, a king in Israel who had a lot of bling, yet Solomon in all his bling and glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. He says, why do you have such little faith? Oh, sassy Jesus. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things, he says, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for itself. Jesus wants to teach us about three things about money, about our hearts, about our eyes, and about our masters, our king. But let's look at what Jesus bases that teaching on. Why does he teach us that? He says, I'm going to teach you this so that you won't worry. Here's what's crazy, you guys. This is our third sermon on generosity, and they're all starting to sound the same because the Bible repeats itself. The Bible repeats itself over and over again and says, we get anxious about our money when we feel that we have to provide for ourselves, but we get anxious about our money when we feel that we have to provide for ourselves, but if we trust God's provision, that anxiety will go away, and the way we kill the anxiety is by giving, not by hoarding our money, but by giving more and more of it away. And so here's, what's, here's what I want to keep in front of us. There's what I'm going to call a holy self-interest, a holy self-interest to giving. Because if you give, you're going to find peace. If you give, you're going to see the way the Father is going to provide for you. And so, yeah, there's a self-interest to giving, and I want to keep that in front of us. Worry, Jesus says, is at the very heart of how we handle our money. Our anxiety drives how we spend our money. But worry is not a money issue. Worry is a heart issue. Worry is not a money issue. It's a heart issue, which is why Jesus says in verses 25 through 27, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. He says, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. And he talks about the birds. He says, can all of your worries... At a single moment to your life. 
Guys, every minute you spend right now worrying about some financial burden in your life, every minute that you spend worrying about some conversation that you don't want to have tomorrow, every minute that you're worried about the what ifs, all 17,000 of them in your brain, every minute does not shave a minute off when you actually go to handle that thing. Every minute you spend now does not make that thing more manageable. In fact, Corey Ten Boom, uh, an author, says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty today of its so- tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Worry, which drives how we spend our money and handle our finances, is ultimately reveals, though, something much worse. It reveals that we have hearts that don't trust the Father. It reveals that we might as well have not just sung, you are good, you are good because we don't believe it. That's why Jesus goes on into this this next section where he says, um, maybe, hold on, boop, boop. Sid, can you hit me the next one, brother? I'm sorry, man. Uh, And he says, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. See, this is the conversation I have every day with my wife. What am I, I mean, should I wear this? Literally, I'm going to this thing with a bishop, and I said, what do I wear to this? She says, you should wear what you have on now, dress pants, a nice shirt. And I was like, I'm going to wear jeans, walk in, everybody's wearing ties, all of them. She's always right. Um, They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his bling was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown on the fire tomorrow, he's going to care for you. He says, why do you have such little faith? Jesus hits the nail on our head. Our worries about our food and our clothing are ev- the everyday stuff of life. It's not, I, I don't really worry about food. Uh, peasants in first century Palestine worried about food. But you know what I, Kyle, worry about in 21st century America? I worry about my car. I worry about college loans. I worry about paying our bills. I do worry about grocery bills. I worry about if I have enough money to accomplish, frankly, not only the things I need, but the things I want. And Jesus says, this is a travesty. It is a travesty that our worry occludes God's, God in our vision because God is more powerful than we could ever imagine and he leverages his power for us. God holds the universe together by the word of his power, the book of Hebrews says. All things are held together by Jesus. And he leverages that power to provide for us, which is why Jesus says on this next slide, I'm just going to have you hit me, Sid. He says, don't worry about these things. Don't say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. He says, your heavenly father already knows what you need. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. He says, today's trouble is enough for today. If you could just do me a favor mentally, could you make a list of everything that you need? Like just mentally think of everything you need. I need to pay that bill. I need to get this thing taken care of. I need to have that conversation. I need to do this, this, or this. List the things that you need. And hear me when I say this, hear God's grace to you. He already knew the list. Scary thing, your list is longer than you just listed, and he already knows the the extended edition of your list. He already knows. He knows what you need. His heart is to provide for it, and instead we let our anxiety dominate our thoughts. But Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. You can hit the next one, Sid. Sid. 
because he said, today's trouble is enough for today. Corey Ten Boom says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Jesus says, instead of our worry, we ought to seek the kingdom. Here's the problem. It says, don't worry. When I think about not worrying, I worry. When I think about not, here's what I want you to do. Don't think about pink elephants. Don't think about them. Don't do that. Don't think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do right now, do not picture an elephant with tusks and and a trunk and big ears that's colored pink. See, but that's what we do about sin, right? Don't do that. Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus, no, no, I'm doing it. Instead, he says, don't do this. Instead, do this. Don't worry. Instead, seek first the kingdom and live righteously and all of the things that you need will be given to you. Distracted by what we need and frankly, more honestly, what we want. If your list included like an Xbox 360, we need to have a talk because that's not a need, that's a want, okay? Jesus says, over and above our needs, we seek the kingdom and we live righteously and I'll take care of the rest is exactly what Jesus says. And so he has three teachings on money. He has three things to say about money. He says first something about our heart, he says something about our eye, and then he says something about our masters. And I wanna take them kind of backwards and look at them Remember that your anxiety is ultimately rooted in forgetfulness about who God is. And if this sounds repetitive, it should. If you're thinking, God, I think you just like copy and pasted last week's sermon into this. I didn't. Jesus copy and pasted the Old Testament into the New. And like changed the font. (laughs) To size 13 with no serif. Jesus says the way that we free ourselves of anxiety is by seeking the kingdom. The way we free ourselves of anxiety is seeking the kingdom and not just seeking it like, oh, where is it? I found it, yay. But seeking the kingdom means expanding the kingdom. The kingdom of God, hear me on this. Dallas Willard says, the kingdom of God is wherever what God wants done is done. The kingdom of God is wherever what God wants done is done. And so the kingdom isn't like geographically located and we're just inching it out like we're playing risk. The kingdom of God happens at work and in home and playing, and playing with your kids and talking with your friends and on conversations and doing your homework where you act righteously and according to kingdom principles, the kingdom of God is made present there. It is the range otherwise, here's the fancier definition, of God's effective will. It is the sphere of God's effective will and it is our job to expand the sphere. I was just uh, working with a pastor, well, he was working with me, he's bigger and more important than me up in Cleveland. Um, I'm, going out, I'm going up to meet him for lunch. Why? Because my favorite Thai restaurant is Caddy Corner to his church. How he is not 350 pounds, I don't know. And um, their, the vision of their church, I wish I would have come up with this. He said their vision is to, to expand the circle of God's love. That's it. It's expanding the kingdom. It's making the sphere bigger. And Jesus says that's what we do. But he also says how we spend our money reveals exactly how committed to that kingdom we are. Crap. Jesus says how we spend our money reveals and and is like a barometer or thermometer for how committed we are to the kingdom, that our money is inextricably and indivisibly connected to our commitment and to what Jesus wants to do in the world, which is why when you give to the church, it's about making ministry happen. Guys, here's a secret. Ministry requires money. It eats money. When we went to church plant boot camp, they said, Church plants are like babies. They eat a lot, but church plants eat money. Okay, that's just what they do. Ministry requires money. 
And yet that money isn't just like doing, buying a service or good. When you give to the kingdom, you're making an eternal investment to reap an eternal reward. So check this out. You could like, you could give to Shelby's trip, right? And you could never go to Ecuador. You could never meet this person, but she could go down and have a conversation with some dude. She could go down, have some conversation with this dude or this girl, and they're going to accept Jesus. And they're going to come to you in the kingdom, and they're going to say, I accepted Christ because you gave Shelby 50 bucks so that she could get on a plane to come tell me about Jesus. And then I told all of my friends about Jesus, and we started a church, and it grew to 300 people. And now you are somehow kind of in this networky thing connected to 300 people that you've never met, but that we're one with in Christ. That's why we give to the kingdom because it expands it. But we have resistance to that. You right now have resistance to this. You have resistance in your heart. I, I love you guys, but I just know you. Because I have resistance in my heart to this. I'm like, really, Jesus? So Jesus talks about our master, talks to us about our eyes, and he talks to us about our hearts. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. He says, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus lays down not 50 shades of gray, not two shades of gray. He lays down one shade of white and one shade of black and says, either your master is God or it's something else. There's a tug of war happening in your heart right now. There's a tug of war, or even better, there's a civil war happening in your heart. See, God wants to be the king of your heart. That's what we just sang about. There needs to be one king, but we don't like to have thrones in our hearts. We like to have love seats. You know, not, not a sofa, not a sectional, just a love seat so that we can sit something next to Jesus. We'll even stick a pillow under Jesus's butt so that like he's a little higher than the other thing. And Jesus says, nine times out of 10, uh, the other master in your heart is money. Jesus said, the other master in your heart sitting next to Jesus on the, on, the so, on the love seat is money. And Jesus says, we don't need a love seat. We need a single chair. We need a throne, not a lazy boy. We need a very narrow chair, one butt. You never were in a church to talk so much about Jesus' butt, were you? Sorry, Lord. But... Jesus says there's a tug of war, there's this comp competition going on in your heart. And let me tell you how you know that there's a competition going on in your heart right now. There's a tug of war in your heart right now if for any reason you think it's offensive or stupid that we've been talking about money for this long. If you think this is a stupid thing to talk about or none of my business or maybe one sermon a year is good enough, Kyle, then there's a tug of war going on in your heart. Jesus spent, remember, Jesus spent 25% of his teaching ministry on, on money. Two years of regen will have done five weeks on money. Out of 100 weeks, 5% of our ministry will have been spent on teaching about money, and Jesus spent 25. We've got to up our game or something. If you claim the name of Jesus, but you want to keep him out of your pocketbook, or this is just an in-between me and Jesus thing, or I'll give my money how I want to do it, Jesus says... No one can serve two masters, for you either love the one or hate the other. You'll despise the one and adore the other. There might be a tug of war in your heart if you're trying to barter service or acts of service to God for money. So you're doing this thing where you're like, man, I come to church. Like, I, I help sometimes with this thing I, in more established churches. I work in the nursery. I do this. So I, I don't need to give because like, I'm serving, Right. Guys, there's nowhere in scripture where Jesus establishes an exchange, like a currency exchange, like at the airport. 
Like we can't go to heaven and turn in our service hours to equal a tithe. It's because here's what we've just done is what we've said is, uh, what we've said is uh, this one spiritual discipline that Jesus calls us to isn't as important and I'm just gonna do this one. And what you're doing is you're eating only one of the food groups. Jesus calls us to serve and to give and to act hospitably and to connect with him in worship. And there's about, you could boil down in scripture about five key practices that Jesus calls us to. One of them is giving and one of them is serving. They are separate but equal. There's the 14th amendment for these two things. There's no currency thing. Jesus calls us both. And if you're trying to get out of financial generosity with time, with time and talent generosity, it actually reveals that money is sitting on the love seat. And that, by the way, again, problem, you have a love seat. There might be a tug of war in your heart, finally, if this whole series is approached with a yeah, but, if you're looking for the way out. You gotta give regularly. Well, yeah, I don't have to do that now because. You gotta give generously. Well, yeah, but what I'll do is I'll tithe after taxes, not before, even though before would be more generous, because, uh, because this, this, and this. There's a tug of war in your heart wherever there's a yeah, but, and Jesus says the exact words of that giant stone face from the legends of the hidden temple. The decision is yours and yours alone. Remember that part? Is that the, is that the legend of the hidden temple? Thank you, thank you, Zach. They would be about to go into the temple on the big rock face whose mouth would move would say, to go in here, this is, the decision is yours and yours alone. You can end the tug of war by being generous. But how did the tug of war begin? This is the next parable. Jesus does this thing. It's very interesting. He says, listen to this. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. Okay, eye is like a lamp. It's on my body. Do I have like a, is it a floor lamp? Is it a nightlight? Okay. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Okay, okay. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have it's actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Yeah, guys, six years of biblical higher education going on seven, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So what do we do when we don't know? We go ask Eugene Peterson in the message, and it's not on the screen, but th he said it, and it's helpful. He says this, your eyes are windows into your body. Oh, okay, your eyes are windows into your body, and if you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar, moist. It's not a word we're allowed to use in my house except when referring to cake, and most certainly not basements. But he says, your body is like a moist cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you'll have. People fix their eyes on what they desire most, is what Jesus says. And so a person whose eyes can only see money and stuff and possessions find their sight slowly blocked, then fading, and then the blinds are drawn. And so immediately what comes to mind is Scrooge McDuck uh, with the dollar sign eyes. See, he can't even see anymore because all he sees is money. But look again at what Jesus says. If our eyes are fixed on the wrong place, he says our whole selves will become dark, dank, moist cellars. Something rots when we shut the blinds. But generosity opens our eyes in wonder and belief. It opens our eyes to see what God is providing. It shines light on the places of our souls where we needed healing, it shines light on the souls where we needed to grow in trust for God. That's what it does. So there's a master issue 
there, there, there's an eye issue and then there's a heart issue. And if you remember when Zach preached with me on James 4, he said, our hearts are like compasses, only the problem is the compass is broken. And Jesus hits on that. Jesus says in probably one of my favorite passages of scripture, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He says, wherever your treasure is, wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Our hearts are like GPS, where our heart is, that's where my treasure is. But here's, it's a chicken and an egg situation, right? I can get on at any point in the circle, it'll take me around. So let's talk about your heart for a minute. What do you worry about the most? Or what gets you the most angry or the most excited? That's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. And if we find that place, that's where your treasure is. And so if you worry most about your mortgage or debt or your car or your stuff, that's where your treasure is. And Jesus says that's out of whack. The scary thing about our lives is that good things crowd out the best things. It's not bad to have a mortgage. It's not bad to be paying off college debt. But if that if seeking that has actually caused a rift and put your treasure in the wrong place, you've got a problem. But on the other hand, we could go, where, where's your treasure? So the question is, where do you spend your money? Let's change the question. Not where do you spend your money, where do you spend the money that you have left over after you paid your bills and stuff? That's discretionary income. Tenant house, eating out. Food, 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 books on Amazon. That's, that's where my treasure is. They're, they're Jesus books, so I mean like, I don't know, but after you've spent money on your bills and all the stuff that you need to spend on, and after you've tithed, where where's your discretionary income going? That's where your treasure is. And Jesus says that our hearts and our treasure are mutually revealing. One tells us where the other is. It's like the Marauder's Map in, in Harry Potter. It, it shows us everything, okay? Mischief managed. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to trade in your time, like in acts of service for generosity, Jesus says, what does this say about where your treasure is? It says, Jesus isn't allowed to touch my money, he can have my time. On the other hand, by the way, if you give and never serve, that also says Jesus can have my money, but he can't have my time, but now we know what your treasure is. And so when you say, yeah, but to giving regularly or yeah, but to giving generously, Jesus says, where's your treasure? And he asks, not like a jerk, but just like a nice guy. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're offended that we're talking about money in church, or you think it's none of my business or none of our church's business, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And all of this, Jesus teaches us, you can hit the next one for me, Sid, all of this is about for us knowing that our heavenly father knows our needs. That's it. Jesus wants us to get at this because it tells, he wants us to know that God knows what we need. He wants us to know that God wants us to provide. He wants us to know that, that he will take care of us. That's why he does it. And we experience that when we give. It's crazy. I, I couldn't help but ask, and this is where we'll end and take communion. Um, I couldn't help but ask if Jesus says our, that the heart shows where treasure is, and that treasure shows where the heart is, I, I found myself this week asking a question. I found myself asking God where his treasure is. If it works for us, it probably works for God, right? 
We're made in his image. If God says, where my treasure is, there's my heart will be also. Well, Jesus, where's your treasure? And I was reminded of this verse in Deuteronomy 7 in this beautiful text where God is explaining why he chose Israel. He could have chosen anybody. One of the verses that I think is important, he said, it's not because you were like more beautiful or stronger or more numerous than any nation. I chose you because I chose you. But in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Guys, you are his treasure. That is what you are. You're his shining star. Sorry, Bruno Mars or whatever that guy is. (laughs) You're his treasure. And so his heart is where you are. You're his treasure, so your heart is where you are. Think about this. The heart of God is fully revealed to us in Jesus. And this verse that we keep coming back to is 2 Corinthians 8 9. You know of the generous grace of our Lord Jesus, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Guys, if you want to know where his treasure is, It's you, and if you want to know where his heart is, it's with you. God sent his own heart to us so that we could see and know and love him and be seen and known and loved by him so that we forever could be with our treasure. We're going to take communion and get out of here. Jesus, thanks for making me your treasure. Thanks for making us your treasure. And we want to call that out in other people. We want to remind them why you treasure them. So help us to find ways to share that over the next few days and weeks. Help us to be extravagant as you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.